welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the one-stop shop for actors and creators both above and below the line. I am your host, Vinny Mancuso, Backstage Senior Editor and Professional Entertainment Obsessive. I'll be your guide through every corner of the creative industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. Here you'll find intimate, in-depth talks with today's most award-worthy names in film, television, and theater. Along the way, we'll get advice on living your best creative life, relatable stories of the highest highs and lowest lows, and maybe, just maybe, a rare peak in the envelope. I think that we are at a point, generally as an audience, where we can find characters interesting that we don't see ourselves in at all. Like, you don't have to see yourself in somebody to be fascinated, interested, root for someone. And I'm, I'm really happy we're at that place because um, I really spent years arguing <laughs> this point. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of In the Envelope, the Actors Podcast. I am your host, Vinny Mancuso, and I regret to report that we are, in fact, halfway through this year already. Somehow, against all odds and reasoning, we are deep into June. But that does mean one thing. Emmy's buzz is building. Who better, my friends, to discuss that buzz than a yellow jacket? Yes, today... We were lucky enough to get some time with the Christina Ricci, Wednesday Adams herself, certified 90s icon, and, in my opinion, the standout performance from one of this season's best shows. If you haven't seen Yellow Jackets yet, uh, I urge you to do yourself a favor and do so. It is drop everything and devote your life to fan theories. Fantastic. It's Lord of the Flies meets Lost with like a little bit of Twin Peaks in there. It's a wild show. It takes place in two different timelines. The great Karen Kusama directed the pilot. It's just wonderful. And the work that Christina Ricci specifically does, particularly in tandem with the actor who plays her younger self, Samantha Hanratty, is truly, truly remarkable. It's the highlight of the show. And it was just a pleasure to get to sit down for a little bit and pick her brain about the performance. I think you'll enjoy it. I certainly enjoyed it. Let's get right into it. Here is Christina Ricci. For your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other categories, the HBO Max original series The Flight Attendant returns for another thrilling season. In Season 2, Cassie Bowden, played by Kaylee Kowoko, is living her best sober life in Los Angeles while moonlighting as a CIA asset in her spare time. But when an overseas assignment leads her to inadvertently witness a murder, she becomes entangled in another international intrigue. All episodes now streaming on HBO Max. Christina Ricci has been the face of on-screen oddities and outsiders for 30 years and counting. After the role of Wednesday Adams turned her into a teen idol, Ricci remained a Hollywood staple, graduating to even darker, more dramatic roles in projects like The Ice Storm, Sleepy Hollow, and Monster. Recently, 
She garnered Emmy's buzz for the Showtime's dark drama Yellow Jackets, in which she plays Misty, an unhinged show tune enthusiast with homicidal tendencies. Here is the one and only Christina Ricci. How are you doing? How's it going? Sorry for the technical rigmarole. No, no. It's always helpful to be guided through. Absolutely. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I'm, I'm very excited to be talking to you, and I'm very excited to be talking about Yellow Jackets, uh, a show I have been thinking about for several months, cannot stop thinking about, and I'm glad I can go to the source. I might not have as many answers as you'd like, but... <laughs> That's okay. Well, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> uh, but before we, you know, before we dive into the specifics of the show, I am interested in just sort of the fact that it is such a show about how the past affects a person. And I'm wondering, in your experience having done the show and now you're, now you're talking about the show, how often do you sort of take stock of your past, of your career? Is it something you, you reflect on often or is it is it something that is, you know, forward facing? No, I mean, I generally only I'm forced to not forced, but I generally only really reflect on it or analyze my life in that way um, when I'm doing press and I'm asked about it. So, you know, there is I, I do actually think about it more than probably is it normal <laughs> because I do press a lot. <laughs> but, yeah, I do uh, take it into consideration a lot. And um, I have spent time consider, you know, obviously weighing how much it affects me and my art and all that stuff. Is there any sort of, I don't know, uh, lesson you've gotten from that? I, I, it is, I, it is very, I can't imagine having to, you know, go back to my own past that often, uh, you know, cause I don't do press. I ask the questions and it's, I, I'm always very curious. Like, is there, is there something you've taken from it that maybe you're like, oh, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad I got that lesson. I'm glad, I'm glad that came up. Well, you know, I mean, I've been doing it for 35 years. So the amount of lessons I've learned over time um, are just so copious. I don't know that I could pick any one thing, you know, and that is what's so incredible is that every project is a new set, a new set of circumstances and people and uh, and new problems. And going through those problems is how, obviously, how we all learn, you know, so yeah, I mean, every single job I've done and situation I've been in has really shaped how I view everything. And it is interesting because, you know, to do this interview, I sort of tried to look at the shape of, of your overall career. And you, it's it's a, it's a fascinating career. And I think especially because it, there are such, you know, definable errors and you, you sort of found success in those in those various eras of your career. I'm wondering if there's something that triggers the change between the is there something where you recognize you know it's time for a change it's time for me to go into something new because my career has been so long and i started as a child most of the changes that have happened in my career have coincided with you know no longer being a kid doing adult movies um various things like having a child and then that affecting so because my life and career are so intertwined that most of the things that have changed have been um a result of just the natural progression of age and a person's life, I think. You've sort of, throughout the whole time, been very open about how you're, you're the kind of characters you're drawn to. You, you, you've always been drawn to, to outsiders. And I'm curious if the reason has changed at all. It, the, the, the what hasn't changed, but I'm wondering if the why has changed and why that was. Well, I don't think if when I was younger, I could have um, really articulated why I am attracted to outsiders or um, 
but now I do sort of understand, you know, that I have always myself been, I'm not a person who understands group mentality. I don't understand needing to join a group. I don't understand needing other people to validate your, your taste and choices and having to agree with everyone all the time. I'm very much somebody who I'm very um, independent, I guess. And um, just by virtue of, I guess, being a child actress and leaving school and coming back and being very autonomous uh, in socially, I think, resulted from that. And then as I've gotten older, I've kind of always been able to look at things from that perspective of uh, being welcomed into all kinds of different circles, but not really ever feeling like I belonged. And realizing, you know, I think when you're 10 and you realize that you don't really need validation from your peers to be happy and to that. And also what it shows you, it's like I got to work and give validation professionally and then go and have peers and, and have friends. And I think because so much of my validation came from my profession, I didn't need that in social situations. So because I've kind of always been in that situation, I think I naturally uh not empathize. Yeah, maybe empathize with people who also are somewhat isolated and different and um and you know, yeah. I think you've you've gone to to a point where you you've almost graduated to that to that beloved figure status and that sort of factors into the the casting of Yellow Jackets. It's it's a, a lot of people who are cast in this show are people who I think the audience, you know, they know them from when they were young so they have a sort of idea of what they're expecting. I'm, I'm curious when you when you were brought into Yellow Jackets, how you saw that working for you, especially as like, you do, it's almost like your casting is part of the show. It's it's part of the aesthetic. I didn't know how intentional that was with uh, Juliet and Melanie and me. I haven't actually heard the writers answer that question. But I really wanted to be a part of the show because I knew the concept. Early on, I met with um, Drew Coleman's and he, it was just a general meeting and he had sort of pitched me the pilot and the concept of the show. And I thought it sounded really fun. He hadn't specifically mentioned like any character, like what character I would play or what, that kind of thing. But then um, when they did come to me with the character and I read script, what I really loved was this specific character. And I loved the way she operated. And I've been kind of trying for a long time to do, um, use passive aggression like i really think passive aggression is rampant and especially when you take into um, account someone's physiology so like i'm a very small harmless woman i cannot be openly hostile in public with strangers it is just not smart but i can be as passive aggressive as i want and then people are confused as to whether you know what i mean like it's yeah, absolutely yeah way of expressing rage that is safe for someone like me purely by virtue of being so small and um, harmless, really, physically harmless. And I've always really, and it, and it is a big part. I, I find it is very common with women um, and because we don't feel safe physically. So it's something that I've, I've tried to do and, and, and play with in other characters and felt was really appropriate. And I've always kind of uh, come up against a lot of... Um, what would be the word? What, what word am I looking for? Uh, a lot of, resistance? Uh, uh, not, that yeah. was the word. Okay. Come up with a lot of resistance because it is not a straightforward version of rage and anger. But we as human beings do not express things straightforwardly. And so many different things to come in um, to affect 
how we express ourselves and all these different elements. And so I've always been frustrated by that um, resistance. And so then to get a, to get to play a character where like the first, the, you know, in the pilot, her only scene, it's like completely so petty and small and passive aggressive and hostile and just like so twisted. And, and I really, really loved that. I love that someone had just written this, per, this, hey, this is one of your leads. And she, <laughs> she, she abuses old people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And well, it's, 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 I, I, that's sort of what I, that's one of the things I love about the show is it feels like what feels so new about it is there are all these leads and really none of them are good people. Like there's not really, there's not really like your way into the show. And I, I'm, that's almost an extension of that resistance you were seeing where there was always that idea that's like, but they're not likable. We can't put them on screen. And, and it, it sort of feels like that shift where it's like, well, maybe they don't need to be likable. Yeah, I've kind of always said that um, my big argument is that people are always saying relatable, like we mm -hmm. need to relate to that character. And I, you know, I think that we are at a point as a whole, generally as an audience, where we can find characters interesting that we don't see ourselves in at all. Like you don't have to see yourself in somebody to uh, be fascinated, interested, root for someone. And I'm, I'm really happy we're at that place because um, I really spent years arguing <laughs> this point. Well, was that was that the the starting point for for Misty for you? Was it was it really recognizing that kernel of oh, I I have a chance to to do something that I wanted to do, and this is this seems like a vehicle for it. Yeah, I mean, but it was on the page. She was written this way, so I was finally presented with a character with, that did operate in this way. So I was very excited about that, and that was really mainly yeah that was why i wanted to be a part of the show you you did mention that you know the misty is 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 only in one scene with the pilot but it, it's sort of you know it what's what's really great about the the filmmaking level of it the performance level of it is you kind of get everything you need to know about the character from that one scene and so i'm curious uh <laughs> yeah exactly so i'm curious what that what what your approach is to it to a one scene performance how, how you how you ensure that everything is coming across that needs to come across. Well, the writing was so good um, that every beat was there. And um, I knew who she should be in that scene. And um, I didn't really have to worry about it. I mean, that's one of the luxuries of working with like really incredible writers and, and Karin Kusama is like an incredible director. Like yeah. this sort of was all on the page. So I just did what I thought I should do. And, you know, Karin made subtle adjustments and stuff, but it was it's just it's so easy with great writing has that always been the constant is 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 it sort of been you know if there's great writing you can do great work and if there's not great writing you sort of have to <laughs> go that extra mile has that has that always been the constant yeah i mean really if you when you see a scene and you can't figure out how to play it if it's character that you actually understand and have played for a while then probably there's some something a little up with the writing I'm curious what what makes it great writing because I, I because of who we are because of you know we're backstage and there's a lot of early career creatives a lot of early career writers who who they're they're sort of just starting and I think hearing something that inspirational is would make a, a listener of this show say well I would love to do great writing I would love to give uh, Christina Ricci a script that she knows what to do. So I'm curious, what, what, is, what makes great writing great writing for you? Well, I think it's different for different styles of filmmaking and TV. Um... You know, as an actor, I always feel like it's great writing when the dialogue evolves in such a way that 
if you're having trouble memorizing your dialogue, it's probably because the scene doesn't make sense. Because usually somebody says something or asks a question, and then the answer as your character is, you know, you kind of get what the next response would be to, to, to a certain extent. So that you, it's not so hard to remember because the scene just follows and it makes sense. Anytime that I'm having a really hard time remembering dialogue, I kind of step back and just think, well, does this make sense? And naturally, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's one way that I recognize it. Other than that, I mean, I'm not a writer, so I can only tell you from an actor's perspective. And that's one little thing that I have noticed. Yeah. Well, I think the actor's perspective is, is, is fascinating because, you know, the job as a writer is to make your job that much easier. And I, I, I think that it's, it's, I, I love the shout out of, you know, the, the great writing and it, I, Yellow Jackets, especially, you know, I think that the juggling act of that show is very hard. And I think that that bleeds through into every aspect of the performances too. Yeah. And you think the tone is so specific on the show and yeah. it's just, uh, and it's because, you know, Barton Ashley and Jonathan are so in sync and really involved and, and they are the source of that specific tone. So um, I think they really keep it. Uh, I don't know. It's just so um, balanced, you know, and they manage to do that so incredibly. It's kind of a balance for you as well, because I think that on a lot of lesser shows, Misty might just become comic relief. Uh, and, and at no point does she. And I'm curious how you handle that on a sort of moment to moment basis, because th that's not to say the character isn't funny. But she never becomes the comic relief character. Yeah, I was really, um, I really didn't want that for her to just like be the comic relief and for things to feel stunty or um, too uh, caricature-ish. Um, so we would just, you know, I think, you know, sometimes in writing scripts, they, you put something in, in that um, will elicit the response you want, but in maybe um, a less subtle way. And then you can take the spirit of that and make it a little bit more grounded. And we did a lot of that throughout, you know, I would change certain props she was supposed to use or drinks she ordered and things like that to just make them a little less hilarious. It's interesting that you mentioned you wanted to change the props. I, that's, that's going to a level of detail that, that, you know, you well, with the, need. the whole scene is about me doing something with a prop. Mm hmm. You're like, okay, so I get we need to have a funny scene, but maybe we don't use something that is so like over the top hilarious. So it's not like I generally am that, but you, literally with her, a lot of it is like, oh, hilarious. She's sitting there with a bird or yeah. like, oh my God, she asked for a chocolate martini, you know, like, so because the scenes would be specifically about those character details, that's when I, we would work on like, what was the right level of funny, but not um, clownish. And how does that work sort of from a, from a pure character creation process when you're, when you're finding who Misty is on a moment to moment level, is there, is there a, a trial period where you, you'll try out a, a quirk or, or, or something she does and you're like, that doesn't feel like, her. Not really. I mean, mine isn't like that conscious and I just sort of trust my instincts and generally those sort of uh, mannerisms and, st and stuff happen um, almost subconsciously. Well, I was going to I was going to ask about the mannerisms because I do. And, and it's interesting to, to hear that because it, it I think this character and every character you played is sort of a master class in creating small quirks of a character. So when you say it happens subconsciously, subconsciously, how do you recognize it as a genuine character beat and not something that feels like a choice? 
Well, it isn't. I mean, you know, people talked a lot about the fact that me and Sammy pushed our glasses up in the same way. But I found not being, I, I, I find that there aren't that many ways to push up glasses that are slipping <laughs> off of your face. Yeah, I know that very well. I know that very yeah. well. Yeah. And like this, pushing it up, like that makes a lot of sense. And so Sammy did the same thing. We didn't even talk about it. And then also, you know, if the character is somebody who is, um, manipulative and there's a lot of artifice in her uh, the facade she puts together and there's probably going to be a, a certain way of walking that is not intimidating doesn't betray the fact that she has power you know maybe is even oh you know someone who is I don't know it's just they they don't feel like choices because they all follow the story and the character and they just make sense you know I'm wearing Crocs so you'd walk a certain way when you wear Crocs all the time also. So it, like all of those little things come into play. And I think it's just a matter of like being comfortable enough to let those things happen instead of like noticing all the time what you're doing. Were you always at that level of comfort or is that a level of comfort you had to find? I've been on camera since I was seven years old. So mm -hmm. do you think that's something that just comes from growing up or it comes from just spending time on camera. You know, you get more comfortable with things the more you do them. So was there a moment where you recognized that that was the way to do it? Or was that just like you mentioned, you've been in, you've been in front of a camera for since you were a kid. It, but was there a conscious moment where you're like, oh, this is I can trust my instincts. This is how you do it. Or did that just happen? No, I've always kind of trusted myself when it comes to uh, acting, you know. It's the one constant in my life. It's a thing I've been doing forever. Um, and it is the one thing that I don't feel like, I think everyone has to have one thing they feel they don't feel very insecure about. And that's my one thing. <laughs> it's, it's... I always think that I'm terrible anytime I watch myself, but then I, that goes away. I think that's a, a natural kind of like self-hating thing. Well, I was going to ask, cause we, we started off by, by, I started off by asking how often you reflect on your career. So I wanted to bring that into a smaller level of how often do you literally watch your career? Not very often, no. Um, but, you know, I have, like, recently shown my kids some stuff I've done or, like, you know, my husband has, and um, but that's when I'll see it. I don't, like, sit down on my own and watch anything. For your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other categories, the HBO original series Insecure follows Issa, Molly, and their unbreakable friend group as they continue to navigate formative experiences in the heart of LA. The fifth and final season follows our favorite characters as they evaluate their relationships, both new and old, in an effort to figure out who and what comes with them in the next phase of their lives. All episodes now streaming on HBO Max. I think one of the joys of doing this podcast is like, I don't understand acting. I, I, I clearly, I clearly just don't understand how it works. So to hear how instinctual it is for you is, is almost something that I, I can't comprehend. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like, if you remember being a child and playing make-believe, it really is like, you just have to like, have that same level of commitment. <laughs> is that, is that sort of what originally pulled you towards it? Yeah. Well, I didn't, well, I was sort of, um, I uh, was sort of discovered, I guess, in a school play. And then my family thought I should try it. And I was like, sure, that sounds fun. And then I realized that that was sort of what it felt like as a kid. That's the closest thing that I could relate it to. Is that 
how you've always felt throughout the entire time? Or is that something you recognized again later? Well, I think it changes as you get older and, you know, you obviously analyze things more carefully and there's a little bit more, it's a little bit more in depth than that. But at its core, what you're doing after they call action is the same kind of make-believe role play stuff that you did <laughs> with a little bit more like skill and nuance and technical um, needs, <laughs> pretty much. Exactly. I'm, I'm, I want to go back to the, the idea of that um, manifestation of rage is, is how you've described Misty a lot. But as something I find interesting about the performances, it's very bottled up. She can't express her rage. She only has one way. And, um, you know, it's through gritted, smiling teeth. And that's it. And she will never show anyone who she really is. I don't think. I think sometimes she slips. But it's not, uh, but not for very long. And I, I don't think she would ever show anybody. Or try not to. I mean, she obviously breaks and shows uh, Reika's character in the basement. But I think in general... This, this is a this is like she's a like a like a stress doll like someone who's been squeezed is how I like to think about most people. <laughs> that's, that's how I feel. So I feel very often. So I feel when I'm, I'm preparing something like this. Product of years of squeezing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but I I think that that goes back to you know you, the idea of you know you need to find something relatable about a character. But I think that idea for so long was you need to find something positive to to relate to a character. But I think that. The idea of a manifestation of rage, very relatable. And I think that, that that's part of what makes her... Well, yeah, it's the way she expresses rage. It's the way her rage manifests. It's passive-aggressive. And um, I think it is... It, well, that's why I argued for so long um, to have this be a viable sort of option um, for certain characters or at times for certain characters uh, because they do feel like it's something very commonplace and not really explored enough. On a, on a technical level and, I, and I, again i kind of want to avoid asking technical questions because it's it sounds very instinct instinctual for you but i i am curious you you mentioned how her mask sl slips and i'm wondering what the creation process is of creating that mask and then letting it shine through i mean it isn't as uh, as conscious as what you're saying but but before you know misty's whole like you know people stand differently people approach different differently the attitude and misty's attitude is very uh, buttoned up emotionally and um yeah very buttoned up emotionally letting it slip is written in the thing so i just follow i'll follow the writing <laughs> it goes back to good writing it all goes back to good writing yes but it's interesting because you don't you don't always have in a show like this, you you literally get to see in the in the past scenes, you get to see where all of this is coming from. And I'm curious what that experience is like for for you, having a very clear, oh, this is why she's like this. This is this is the moment where this was. Yeah. Created. I mean, yes, there is a lot of that. It's true. But I think that with Misty's character, there is still so much missing. And I don't feel like I've seen much of why she is the way she is. Um, you know, I've seen like broad strokes, and I get mm -hmm. that. And it's fun to see like the first time she really lies about something and all that stuff. And then you can like extrapolate, obviously. But I think there's so much that went on that we still haven't seen. And I'm so excited to see that stuff because it, like you're saying, it is incredibly informative and helpful for me. Um, I can't wait. I hope we see a lot like even more. And obviously we're going to in season two. I, I have seen you say elsewhere that you you don't want to know, though. <laughs> 
you you you're not the the, the type to ask the showrunners those questions. And I, well, I I don't like to have any um uh, constraints or limits. I feel like you know I, ne- I I never want to be in a situation where I can't do what I do because of some limitation. And I found with TV that you are very often asked to perform without really knowing. It's so different than film. You know, film you know the entire arc of your character. You know every action that you have to justify with behavior. Um, And with TV, you just don't have that luxury um, for whatever reason. Um, A lot of times people want to keep things fluid. So they do have the ability to change what the story is, to change what your character does. And I get that. That's part of making television. So I want to be really good at always performing without knowing and comfortable, more comfortable with the not knowing. And uh, I feel like it's a specific muscle you need for TV. And I want to get really good at that. Uh, I don't want to need to know in order to do my job. So it's more like you'd, you'd, you'd rather, again, you'd rather find it naturally. No, I just rather be able to act under any circumstance. You know, I don't want to be somebody who can't figure out who the character is because they haven't found out what they're doing in the rest of the season. Um, That's terrifying to me because at the end of the day, it's you on camera. The only thing that that comes across the end of the day is the performance. So you can't have anything that makes you unable to do it. I'm curious what what that's like for you in between seasons. I've asked other actors sort of where, where that character goes in between seasons because you're you're sort of in, living in that role and then it ends in the case of yellow jackets it ends on a cliffhanger and then you're in between the show and i'm curious what do you continue to shade in anything in between seasons or do you do you put it on a well, shelf and come back to the it? thing that i've now learned with t- tv shows like this is that you do press constantly from the time it's over until the time you start again so you do nothing but talk about the character and think mm. about her and in some ways it has been really informative to talk about her so much and like even my like idea of what I would add or how I would change things like all of those little things have come up and um you know I have a few new just approaches now and like thoughts about her and I'm excited to play her again now feeling like I understand even more by virtue of having talked about her so much um and heard other people talk about her as well so um for me with this character I just kept talking about her (laughs) but I don't know in another situation, what would happen? Well, I'm curious how you you sort of avoid all. It's it's very interesting to hear because I I it is I only have to have this conversation once. You have to have it a million times, and I'm curious how you how you avoid letting that shade the character because you know I I have my reaction to the I would character. Actually let anybody shade the character. I'm not like that. Um, but in talking about the character, I have come to understand the character. I mm-hmm. think a little bit better or have a different take on just like slight little changes but i think all that's been beneficial i don't think it's been um harmful yeah absolutely i'm curious how what your what your experience has been like experiencing the audience reaction to the character because it is it is it is one of those things the show is it has been you know it it seems like it's still finding new audiences to to this day and the reaction to Misty has been very, you know, it's the type of character that sort of builds a following. I'm curious how, where have you, that you are, how that process has been for you, all of that. It's been great. I mean, it's so gratifying to see people respond to the show and love it. And it's fun to be a part of something that everyone says is like a phenomenon of sorts. 
and um and i love misty um so it's it makes me really happy again i am somebody who can't i i don't really seem to be able to feel other people's experiences so like i'm and i don't really i'm not out and about very much so i kind of feel like i understand intellectually that this has gone on but emotionally like there it's not really tangible to me i can't it's not a visceral thing i think you i that i am capable of experiencing <laughs> i'm sure other people are but i don't think i am interesting that's that's very interesting to hear and it's it's especially interesting cuz i believe you just wrapped on wednesday which is which is a show sort of built from a character you create you're obviously not playing the same character but it, it's it, that's built on the idea of a character you played that then became a phenomenon so i'm curious what the experience was like was that because it's kind of a much larger version of what i was saying between seasons you were returning to uh, a creative environment that for 20 22 years in between that i'm curious what that was like for you it was really fun i loved working with tim again and it was great to be a part of i was really um happy they asked me and it is a world the adams world is something that i was a part of but this version is really different you know the production design is really different it's obviously different cast so it didn't feel it felt more familiar because i had worked with tim before then it felt like i was returning to the adams family world that i personally had known is there is there any sort of anything that needs to be done to get when when there is that 22 year gap between working with someone like Tim Burton, is is there a moment where you have to get on that wavelength again, or is that is that is the oh, kind of thing? He's an amazing director. I mean, he's so good, and he's immediately. It's like effortless working with him, and you completely trust him, and no matter what he says, you do, because he's a genius. And um, yeah, it's it's effortless. I'm just noticing that I only have a few more minutes, uh, so I'm, I, I want to get to the the sort of very much nitty-gritty advice for for new up-and-coming actors because that's that's the backstage audience so I, I guess the best way to start is, is is what piece of advice would you give your younger self what, what piece of advice would did you wish you had at the beginning of that career oh I would give this advice to anybody um starting in pretty much any field and certainly in an artistic field you know you should always be open to constructive criticism but also find the thing that you do that's special and do that thing um no matter how strange the thing is you're good at, if you're the only person who does that and does it beautifully, then that is the thing you should play to. I guess it's play to your strengths, I guess, even if they're not popular at the time. <laughs> and, you know, as as you mentioned, and to piggyback off that, you you really, you identified your your niche and you were, you were so incredible at that. And I'm curious what your advice specifically would be for an actor looking to to find their niche, to, fi to find that thing that they're, they're good at. Or is that just experiment? I'm not sure how you find it. <laughs> I think, you know, you follow your natural inclinations, you know, look at the way you look at the take you have on a scene, look at the way you play something that's different than somebody else. And what is that thing, I guess? Incredible. Well, I, don't want, I want to say thank you again for taking the time to talk to me. And I, I, I cannot stress enough. This show kind of took over my life for a little bit. And oh, it's still awesome. That's cool. I myself can't wait for season two. I'm, I, you seem excited for season two and uh, congrats, congrats on everything. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks 
as always, to our brilliant producer, Jamie Muffet, and to the whole team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage with code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. 100% free, you simply cannot beat that. For more exclusive content, find us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope, and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who should we interview next? Let us know. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another peek in the envelope.